Survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Curry Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leash been to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here it is. Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. Subscribe now on iTunes or your favourite podcast app or head to golf.org.au. G'day everybody, welcome to the show, it is Inside the Ropes episode number 119, lovely to have you with us, a bit to get through today, we've got uh, people, a couple of people rolling through the show, we'll introduce you to them uh, as they arrive, it wouldn't be Inside the Ropes without the great man Mark Hayes, hello Hazy. Hello Murray, that's very kind from you. Well it's just from the bottom of the heart as it always is my friend, we're joined by one of the all time greats, sartorially dressed as he always is with the magnificent, um, is that, that's not a turtle, that's a polo neck. You try, you're hanging on to them, aren't you, Clates? You won't, you won't let the polo necks go. It's a jumper. Yeah, it's a polo neck jumper. That's all right, isn't it? They're yeah, beautiful. I love them, but there's yeah. not many people rolling polo necks anymore these days. Uh, isn't I that a turtleneck? Is that a turtleneck? It's a polo neck, isn't it? You just, will, will you ever learn, A, about turtlenecks and B, about microphones? You get your nose right there's in there. There's that famous, um, amazing photo of Jack Nicholas and the yellow one at St. Andrews in the bunker. Famous. 1970. Great photo by his name. The famous photographer whose name completely escapes me <laughs> at the that, moment. He's so George, famous. I George, can't... George, George, oh, George. Okay. Anyway, I'll... but yeah, there's, a, there's an amazing picture of Nicholas with a yellow turtleneck peering over a lip of a bunker at St. Andrews. Great. I think we all Golf's know. great photos. We've all seen it. It's sensational. Yeah. Uh, got a big show today. Jamie Arnold's going to join us. We've got a very special guest joining you guys in the I'm going to have to uh, nick off, unfortunately, a bit early yeah. today, but got a very special guest joining us in the last segment of the show, which is um, something to look forward to. Yeah. Walter Eos. Not George. Walter. Walter. There you go. Yeah. George Walter. Same name. George, well, same. Yeah, His mum called him George. <laughs> um, yeah. Tell us about the guest we've got. Well, we've got class. Brian Twite, who's um, a legend in, well, not only Australian golf, but in, I'm going to go as far as to say British golf as well. So um, Brian, we're going to interview with, he was, um, we had intended in my era to get him on around the open at Port Rush, but um, we needed to have Clates' encyclopedic memory to uh, to ask the hard-hitting questions of Brian Twight. So we'll, we'll rekindle that. Brian was uh, a player in the previous open back in the early 50s at Royal Port Rush, Andy. Yeah, indeed. Um, but before we get any, to any of that, it's the we're, we're keeping an eye on the, um, on the plunging stocks of Matt Kucha uh, this week, which is where we might start the week, <laughs> Hazy, because I think everybody who loves the game of golf has had their understanding of um, the rules and the fairness and the spirit of the game challenged a little bit this week by some um, vision of Matt Kuchar over at the European Open. If you bought high on Kuchar early in the year, Andy, you, mm. your your investment probably isn't going so well, I wouldn't have thought. Maybe I shouldn't say that because if, if it's purely a golfing thing, he's done really well this year. Correct. But if it's on a social scale, uh, it, it, he's done some... I would say questionable things at best here, uh, including the caddy scandal yeah. earlier in the year yeah. in Mexico. Uh, he he asked for a, about four hundred different guys to rule on a on a on an embedded ball 
in the fairway um, mid-year. But he's come up with a real clangor this time in my estimation. So let's bring in somebody who knows uh, absolutely about the rules of the game, um, Simon Magdulski, who whose title I, I've, I can never remember. So I'm, welcome back to the show. Murray, it's terrific to be here. It's always great to have you. Yes, and Hazy, Clates. The to- just remind us all of the titles. Senior Manager, Play Management and Regulations. How's that? Is that a surprise that I can't remember that title? You're going to cut me some yeah. slack, aren't you? He's the mate? rules guy. He's the rules guy. He's the guy. rules guy. His title should be, I'm the rules guy. So, Hazy, set it up for <laughs> us. For those who maybe haven't seen yeah. uh, what, what Kucha did, just, just, just well, describe it. And then, Simon, you tell us about it. For a start, he hasn't broken the rules. I have to get that on the table, despite what I might say in a few minutes' time. But he's playing in the European Open in Germany. He's hit a ball into a bunker, and he's requested a rules official come over and help. Uh, was it a bunker or a waste area? Or are they the same thing now? Well, from what I've seen, it was a bunker. It was a... I think it was a waste I area. A, I think it was a waste area. Uh, I wasn't sure. I thought it was a bunker. I thought it was a bunker. Is, it gonna, is that going to be... No, I think... Well, no, it was of a bunker. You have to play it. You can't... No, no. It, it, no, it no longer really makes a difference in bunkers these days. So you can move sand in a bunker as well? This is the problem. In, well, the, the starting point these days is that you can move loose impediments in bunkers as well as outside of bunkers. Um, so he's wanting to know if he can move the, the loose impediments, and that was primarily what he was okay. trying to do. Um, so Matt Kuchar, to me, Andy, looking at this, at the footage of it all... He's asked to move a loose impediment. He's got the rules officials' help to come and do it. So it's all okie do- on, What am I saying? Okie hunky dory, hunky dory, hunky dory, hunky pokey. So he's done it all by the books, and he's done it with the rules official by his side, asking to move a, a loose impediment within a bunker. And what he's done is reached down, and he may be moving little tiny minuscule rocks. I don't know, but it looks like he's moving individual grains of sand. It looks like they look. It looks quite a grainy bunker, doesn't it? Does. it? It's not. It's not a fine bunker. The, the 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 pebbles or the sand or whatever you want to call it. They it looks quite coarse and quite grainy. And once he started going, it looked like he couldn't stop. He just kept seeing another <laughs> grain of sand and another grain of sand. And in the end, he's carving out this this kind of gouging. Sort of he's improving his life. He's improving his life. That's exactly what he was doing. Looks well, like he's changing his life. He was improving his life. Well, he was changing. It. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't make... playing the ball. He wasn't going to play the ball as it lay before he started doing what he was doing. What did you think of it when you're watching it? Well, the, if the rules guys there. Then presumably it's okay. Uh, uh, so, so he definitely wasn't cheating because you're cheating when no one's watching and you hope no one sees what you're doing. Yeah. But when you're when the rules guy's standing over you watching what you're doing, then at some point he's going to say, Matt, you can't do that. So and he clearly didn't do that. So either he's not doing his job, but as long as he was giving him the green light to keep picking away what he was picking away at, then so, so, I, you assume it's okay. So Simon, this presumably changed when the new rules of golf were instituted. Well, as we're understanding it, it's a bunker. So um, the change under the rules that came in at the start of this year, as I said before, is that you can now move loose impediments in bunkers. Now, Kuchas called the referee in. I presume one of the questions he's asked is, "Look, can I move these? Um, can I move these loose impediments? Is is that okay?" So the, the referee's there, and the referee will say, "That's okay." And the player's probably saying, okay, if I do it in this way, um, is that okay? If I move a few grains of sand in the process, is that okay? 
um, and the referee will be giving the player the green light as Clates has suggested, and Clates will have done this a bunch of times throughout his career, getting a referee in to make sure that everything is doing aligns with what it is that the referee thinks is okay. And that way may well be true, but I guarantee you Clates never flaunted the spirit of the game like that. And you're not here to talk about the spirit of the game. You're here to talk about the rules of the game. I reckon I'll talk on that. Go for uh, it, Of course Andy. he did. What, Clates did? Or? No, no, no. Of course <laughs> that's what Coocher did. Well, Look, that's, that's entirely what I'm saying. Like, I couldn't agree with you more. And yeah. I think most people were, would agree. Even if he got what was a, considered a legitimate and reasonable ruling uh, and according to the new rules of the game and a, a correct one, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't fitting in with the spirit of the yeah, game. Look, what Matt Kuchar was doing. Surely, surely not. Is it unusual for a, a tour player or any sort of player to use the rules to their advantage? Um, well, that's what to, they do. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's okay. That's, that's fine. okay. Yeah, I understand because that. there are plenty yeah. of times when you get completely screwed by the rules. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, I mean, they've changed the worst rule, which always got up my nose, was the ball moving on the putting green. I got penalised for that twenty times, probably. When it was never my fault, the ball moved, but it was a penalty. Now it's not a penalty because they finally figured out yeah, things it was can a make... stupid rule. <laughs> so I never minded taking advantage of a rule because I knew on the other side I was been. And and I, you know, some other time you'll get completely shafted by the rule. Yeah, yeah. You know, Matt Southgate last year when that leaf flew across the line, his ball hits oh. the ball going in the hole, hits a leaf and misses, and he gets penalised because he had to he had to replay the shot. I mean, no one knew that rule. So if you're getting shafted that way, then you're entitled to take advantage of the rule over here. Yeah, and, and I think, Clates, pretty much every tour player, their They'll approach is the same. Yeah, uh, so I, if there's a suggestion that Cooch is using the rules to help himself and, and that's contrary to what anyone else would do, I, I mean, I, I don't buy into that. Really? So you're, he, he's not contravening the spirit of the game, whatever that is, in your eyes? But what spirit are you talking well, about? Well, the spirit is to play the ball as it lies. That's the first rule of golf is play the ball as it lies. So did he fundamentally change the lie of the ball? Yes. Did he do something illegal in doing that? Well, the is, referee is, said no. Is, is he improve? He, he can move the loose impediments, and if that yep. helps him, that's fine. The rules allow him mm. to move the loose impediments. Is he moving a few grains of sand in the process? Maybe he, he is, but is that actually improving anything? I, I mean... I just don't think so. And, he, and he's got a referee right there who's saying, oh, yeah. yes, this is okay. And Cooch is probably also saying, look, mate, if I'm starting to go beyond what you think is reasonable, yell out. And th- those European tour referees, they, they would have yelled out if there was any concern mm. there. Do you um, honestly reckon Cooch would have said that? Um, well, no, the rules go. If, if I'm going too far, let, please let me know. No, he, he perhaps didn't use that language, but he would have been saying, "Is this okay?" Is, I mean, that's that's what, in my experience, um, the the tour players do. They they understand that the world is watching. They've called a referee in there mm. to. Um, the, the referee is basically their get out of jail free card. Um, if if they're doing the wrong thing, but the referee has said it's okay. Then the referee. So, so no one in this problem. room is suggesting that Kuchar cheat. No, 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 no. Far from it. Not at no, all. No. I just think he's he's acted against what the spirit of the game is, and I, I'll you'll struggle mightily to push me off that. Belief. So what do you say to a bloke if you're driving on the Saturday morning at Chep or wherever you're playing your golf, and one of your blokes has seen what Matt Kuchar's done, and he's seen a couple of grains of you know 
rock or stand, sand, bigger bits of sand or something that are behind his ball that he deems are loose impediments. And he starts picking them away one by one the way Coochie what, – what do you oh, – well, I saw Matt Coochie did that on the weekend and he was okay to do it. So what, I guarantee you someone around Australia this, this weekend is going to try that on. Um, no, you don't I, think so? No, we're Australians. We're not doing that. We play fair. All of us, do we? Yeah. Sandpaper in pockets. And well, that's true. That's I think true. we've been known Good to point, push yeah. the rules a little bit yeah. once Who, or who's twice. That swimmer on drugs? And, yeah. There's been one or two have yeah, sort of been known to, you know. That's I'd like to think it wasn't part of our national that's DNA, true. but yeah. I think we, we, you know. Yeah, we can skirt. But don't you think some somebody will go, well, you know, like somebody's going to, aren't they? Somebody at some I stage absolutely in agree. the coming days, weeks or months is going to go, well, I've got a plug lie here. I can pull a bit of stuff out from behind the ball so I can get – if there are little bits of stone around someone's ball, then the player's entitled to remove the stones. That's that's just the mm. the rule. Um, what defines this is here's the never ending story here on this one. How do we think the new rules have gone this year? I mean, they've, obviously the caddies are not standing. That, that couple of guys got penalised, and so that's done. The um, what it, the anchoring puttering's kind of yeah. Some, uh, some people think they anchor, some don't. I mean, it's a terrible rule, but overall, how have the rule changes gone, do you think? Well, I think generally speaking, the, the new rules have been good. I, I think the RNA and the USGA could have gone further um, in a lot of respects, um, but but that'll happen yeah. over the next um, bunch of years, that the rules will continue to, to evolve. But generally speaking, I, I think it's been, all right. it's been good. You think about- the RNA and USGA could have, or do you think the tours could have in their application of the existing rules? Uh, all of the above. Um, the tours, you know, they have a strong input into uh, the, the way the rules are, are written. Um, they're a key stakeholder in that process and they do have um, significant influence, mm. uh, as do the players. But at the end of the day, the, the rules are owned by the RNA and the USGA. Uh, but, but as I say, look, my, my view, they, they could have gone further. There could have been further simplification. So if, if there was one rule you would change, what would it be? And and I know you're not going to be so stupid to say free drops out of a divot, so we'll get rid of that one before anyone <laughs> phones in with, I want a free drop out of a divot. Uh, well, it's it's interesting that we're in bunkers. For mine, um, I would have allowed in bunkers what you can now do in a, in a penalty area, the old water hazard where you can ground your club um, in, a, in a penalty area these days. I'd allow players to, to ground their club but don't in think, a bunker. But then you open, don't you open up then? Improving your yeah, line. Improving your line. You just got to kind of drop, drop. The, if you put the weight of the club behind the ball in, in soft sand, then if you've got a bamboogle, for example, and you just put the weight of the club on the ground, your line's by definition going to improve, isn't it? Because the sand's going to drop down behind it. It drops <clears> down <throat> by a very small amount. But does that actually improve anything? Oh, I, 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 if that's an improvement, um, players in waste areas where the, the sand is, is far more uneven, um, I, I've never really heard it suggested. That what about it, when you take the club back and you've accidentally scrape sand out behind the ball and improve your lie that way? Uh, my understanding, having consulted psychologists on this sort of thing, is that it's pretty challenging for a player to be focusing on their backswing yeah. in trying to remove all of this stuff as well as put a decent swing on the ball. I think that's so a- I, I, to me, that's one of these sort of um, ifs and buts that's not really relevant. to the but, con- but, but why do I want to do this? I just think it's a much simpler message to the average player that 
um, you can ground your club rather than saying to them, well, you can ground your club in this situation, but not in this situation. I, yeah. I, I, I'd like to see the okay. rules be as simple as possible. Um, that's, so that's why I want to do I this. would say you can't ground your club, but you can take a practice swing. Uh, my problem with the practice stroke in the bunker is that sand would end up getting deposited all over the green, but you also end up That's moving true. a lot of, um, a lot of the sand from yeah. the, the bunker base up yeah. into bunker faces. So the, there's a practical reason why you yeah. wouldn't allow that, okay. but actually grounding the club in the bunker prior to the stroke. Um, uh, like I say, if, if that's really going to aid the player, um, then it'd be a, an even bigger aid for the player in the waste area. And I've never really heard that, that that's an issue in waste areas. And you, but there aren't that many waste, apart from the golf course that we've built. Where all we, of we, yours, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, the lake's it's obviously, the lake's has waste areas. <laughs> right. I mean, there aren't that many waste, Royal Queensland does. <laughs> There's a few peninsula, but yeah, I suppose they're up. Yeah, but, but you know, like last year's last year's um, Emirates Australian Open at the at the lakes. Yeah. How many instances did we see of players in in your waste areas? Yeah, um, grounding their their ball in and improving the, their lines and then it. scraping away on their backs. I mean, you, you just don't see it. It, it just doesn't happen. Waste areas, yeah, absolutely. There should be should be way we, more. We haven't built one in Metro. Should be Friday's way, probably been in it, left for be the third. Way more of them. Before we let Simon go and wrap this segment up, um, we'll get to all the uh, other bits of business at the end of the show, which I'm sure you'll go through. Yeah. Should we ask about Paul Casey's aunt? Oh, please. Did you is it? Did, did you know that a bug, and an ant, was considered an animal uh, under the rules of golf? I did know that, Murray. Did he you? knows everything, mate. This guy knows everything. Did. So Paul Casey's made a putt in the same tournament. And it did it. We ascertained that it actually clipped the ant. Did it, it actually? Did. It, it made contact with yeah. the ant. Didn't bump the ball off its line though. Uh, it I, didn't. Did it? Well, it still went in. It probably turned more than Nathan Lyon on the first four days of an Ashes yeah, Test, Andy. His, but um, it didn't appear to go too far. But it, I think if you could put a, um, a protractor out on it, it, probably moved to you know a quarter of a degree. So what? Paul Casey had no idea what the rule of this is. Well, he, he just wouldn't have seen it. Um, if you've got a little ant that's um, crawling around over the uh, on the green, it's um, extraordinary. Um, which which this. which commonly happens. Yeah, but if does, but yeah. if you don't see it, um, you, it's it's considered not to have. Been interesting to see if the putter missed. You've gone. Oh, I didn't. Oh, my ball. Yeah. I want to know what the putt again. Yeah. So what do you what is you, you replace the ball and make the stroke again? Is that that's that's right. The, yeah. the ant in no this penalty. Situ- the, no, that's right. The yeah. ant in this situation is considered to be the same as a as a dog or, or a bird in flight. That's well, it, we're talking about a stroke from a putting green. Yeah. Um, if it was a stroke from off the putting green and the ball um, hit a um, an animal, um, such as a ball, a bird in flight and deflected in a significant way, well, that's just bad luck. So we, the, the only so, the only replay situation so, is where the stroke is from the putting green. So why why is there a difference? Um, is the, the probability greater that you can hit an animal on the attached to planet Earth than one up in the sky? Is it? I mean, where's the did, the, the the putting green is always considered to be a special situation. Yeah. You, you can always mark your ball, lift it, and clean it on the putting yeah, green. That's um, good point. Strokes yeah, yeah. everywhere else, you you don't have that same sort of luxury. So the, the putting green is the, you know, you can tap down yeah, no, um, imperfections on the on the putting green, all these sorts of things yeah. that you can't you, do. You've had a history, Simon, of animal abuse on this show. You was the, what was the story you were telling us 
about that other time when the ball was off air. Well, well, it was well, it was Morgan Pressel at Kuyonga in the um, ISPS Honda Women's Australian Open um, a couple of years ago, where her her ball um, uh, significantly impacted a a Corella, um, (laughs) which which unfortunately was um, the last the Corella um, came to know this earth. Um, so that was that was a very unfortunate situation for the Corella. The decision? N- no, no, and it was pretty unfortunate for for Pressel as well. Uh, but in that situation, it was I think it was a tee shot, um, so it was just played as it lies. Um, one, one, one is hard enough to hurt it. <laughs> She's speaking of Morgan Pressel. Um, Solheim Cup this week. Yeah, no, we're looking forward to that. Big tournament. It's going to be enormous. Um, any Did other he, rules curiosities for Simon while we're here? No, nah, we've, we've, we've put him under the pump enough, I reckon. Um, Jamie Arnold standing by to join us, Simon, as is always the case. Thanks for coming up to clear up some of these Murray, curiosities always, of this great game of ours. Always a pleasure. Lovely. Always a pleasure. <laughs> Simon, Simon Magdulski, the rules guy. The rules guy. Joining us yeah, here inside guy. the ropes. Rules Friend of Corellas, psychologist. <laughs> Not sure he's all that friendly with Corellas. Uh, <laughs> well, Arnold's... Morgan Pressel wasn't very friendly with the Corellas. So. <laughs> no, that's a good point. Uh, Jamie Arnold's story, uh, we've tried to well tell it here on Inside the Ropes. He's going to tell it himself to us on the other side of the break. You're listening to Inside the Ropes. More to come after this. Hi, I'm Minji Lee, and I'm proud to be an ambassador for MyGolf, Australian Golf's national junior program. One of my favourite things about coming back to Australia is seeing all the kids getting into golf. My golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about fun and friendship, learning golf and life skills in a safe and healthy environment. So, if your child is between 5 and 12 years old, be sure to find a program near you at mygolf.org.au. Welcome back to the show. Uh, regular listeners to Inside the Ropes will be very familiar with the name Jamie Arnold. Hazy, there's been a bit of a, a, a passion project of ours, Jamie Arnold, over the last couple of years. I was talking to Jamie yesterday on the phone, teeing this up, and I, I told him that he's been mentioned on this podcast more than he probably cares to have been. But uh, yeah, we've delighted. We've managed to track him down, and it, we, uh, you know, it's with great joy that we speak yeah, to him. And but we also. We have to admit, Jamie, as we welcome you to the program, we've we've discussed you with you know uh, uh, sort of a heavy heart a couple of t- yeah, a couple true. of days yeah. in the in the recent past of your career. Welcome to Inside the Ropes. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. It's been a tough time. Yeah. It's been a great time, but a tough time, hasn't it? I mean, you've you've come so close on so many occasions to your PGA Tour card this year. Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, it's been a been a roller coaster year for all my family and friends and people that don't even know me and follow me. So, um, you know, it's part of the part of the journey. Your ups and downs, but yeah, I mean, it was a obviously it was a best year I've had on tour, which is which is awesome. But at the same time, I had obviously had some chances to, uh, you know, had played four or five tournaments where I had a chance to win, heading in the back nine, didn't shut any of them out, which a little disappointing, but. You know, it was obviously exciting and fun as well at the same time. What do you take away from it? It's, it's, as you sit there and you kind of reflect on it, as I'm sure you probably have, um, you know, in the last couple of days, what do you? What's the overriding takeaway from all of that? Uh, I mean, overall, every. I mean, really happy. Obviously, you know, I'm turned 36 this year, um, so you know, I got a family and. 
a mortgage and a house and all that stuff. So um, I kind of take away like I'm moving in the right direction. Every year I'm getting closer and closer to my goal. Um, you know, I'm, I'm improving. I'm trending upwards. I mean, statistically, every part of my game has improved this year over last year and even the year before. So, I mean, it's just a matter of matter of time. You know, I'm trending trending the right way. And I feel like it's, I've got a good team of people around me and good coach and support team. So I feel like if I just keep doing what I'm doing, you know, it's, it's just a time, you know, it's just me putting the hours in and, and time. And I've got a place to play that has a great pathway, obviously, to to getting to, you know, arguably golf's biggest stage. So, you know, I'm obviously really excited. I'm kind of chomping at the bit to start again, to be honest. I had a week off and kind of ready to jump back on the saddle. So can I can I be the bad cup, Jamie, without you sort of hanging up the phone? And can I reel off a couple of the things? Because I'd love to get your thoughts on them. And, and we, mm-hmm. you know, we've, we've documented them as we've gone. Yeah, but, yeah, go for it. Um, you know, you obviously had a chance to make the cut at Indiana in the Tour Championship and you, birdied, you bogeyed a couple of the last holes there to miss by one. I guess the the one that sort of stands out is uh, the one in Ohio where you made the triple bogey on 17 from, um, you know, a position of standing on the 71st tee with it all to play for. Um, I guess that one's probably the one we really need to ask you about. But then there's a couple of double bogeys on par fives in the preceding weeks in final rounds. I'm I'm not sure which one hurts you the most or whether you've just rolled with them and taken it completely on the chin. I mean, yeah, you just... I mean, I was taken on the chin. I mean, New York, um, I was in the last group. And on eight, I hit it just on the right over this trap, hit a great tee shot. You know, you kind of got to hug this trap, and it's a dog leg right. Um, and you just, if you carry these trees, you got a four on him. So the day before, I made eagle. Yep. Um, and I hit, the, I hit the exact same line. It might have been a foot further right. And we get up there, you know, New York, couldn't find it, couldn't oh. find my ball, which was absolute bizarre so I made I made double there and obviously I missed the playoff by two shots there you know and I'm, like I said the, the two days before I think I made birdie I eagled it on Saturday so that that one that one kind of hurt because you know I did it was one of those things like it was one swing I felt like it was one swing from you know being you know lock obviously winning and I'd lock my card up and then uh Ohio Ohio was just one of those things. Never, never a good time to happen. I mean, I had a four part, obviously, um, but you know you, what you just said. Like, you know, you got a lot to play for in the seventy-first hole. But I mean, I'm I was out there in the heat of the battle trying to win a golf tournament, and I just, you know, I wasn't out there trying to finish top five or top ten. You know, I knew I was one behind, and the guy I was playing with hit it. Who was leading hit it to six feet, and I just didn't hit a good tee shot, and then obviously hit the green, and then four parts later walked off with a triple. Um, and then, you know, same thing with Indiana. I mean, that's just a really tough um, closing stretch of holes. Um, I did bogey 17, but, I, you know, I made, I birdied 11, 12, you know, made a really nice, you know, made some nice parts on some other holes. So it was just one of those, you know, it's just a tough course and it's easier out there to make bogeys than, 30s um so you know it's just one of those things i had a lot of close calls you know in several tournaments nashville um kansas city but you know that's that's the that's how it goes you know some weeks i had you know 33 of the last four and finished you know top 10 and then other weeks you have a bogey here or there and you finish 30th it's just kind of part and parcel of the job 
how competitive is it out there? We we follow it and we watch it and, you know, we see so many kind of really good players kind of can get stuck there sometimes. Tell us about the depth of and, – and when you get to the pointy end of it, like the last three or four weeks, just how competitive that, that tour gets. I think the biggest difference is just the the depth of the fields. Like literally, you know, you know each week – Really, any any guy from from the first guy in Category One to Category Fifteen that it goes to can win the golf tournament. And and the scores you got to shoot, um, you know, you just know you can't shoot you can't shoot even par in round one. And then because before you tee off, you see cuts three under, four under. Um, so it's it's super competitive because you just you 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 know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know the number of how many tournaments you've got to finish in double digits, like, and I'm not talking like 11 or 12, I'm yeah. like 20 plus under. Um, but you just know you got to, you just know you got to play good, um, and and you got to and you, you got to be able to do it for four days too. You you can't be like 18 under through three rounds and shoot par, you know, and think you're gonna, you know, say you're coming in fifth and or third, and you go to the last round shoot par and you'll finish 18. You know, it's kind of kind of that tour and, and obviously once you get to the pointy end of the season like now the tour finals you've got you got 70 75 guys coming from the PGA Tour you know major winners tournament you know multiple PGA Tour winners so it's just a it's just one of those things that the 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 level of players is super high I mean I haven't played on the PGA Tour but you know we have top 60 cuts which which I mean, the majority of cuts are at least usually during the regular season or anywhere from you know three under to seven under being the lowest. Um, so it's just a lot of depth, and you've got to go low. And like I said, if you shoot if you shoot a kind of par or one over the first round, you know going into Friday that you've got to do something. You know you've got to have a great round just to get yourself back into making the cut, and then you know hopefully have a great weekend where you can at least notch up a good finish um, because you can't give these guys, you know, six, seven-shot head start because they're just too good. So, Jamie, of the, you mentioned that New York tournament. So that's back in the start of July and right the way through to the start, the start of September in Indiana. There's really only one event where you weren't sort of, you know, vaguely in the mix or at least at the very worst competing to get make the cut. Um, at 36, as you say, on the good side of these things, it, it means you're improving still, obviously. And how? What is the ceiling? Can what? What's your dream from here? Um, you I mean I don't really see a ceiling to be honest. I just I feel like it's one of the things like whatever I set my sights to, I can I can achieve. But it's just it's the time thing. It's just having the 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 toughest thing is is you know when you're coming from Australia and you've got not you know we don't have a lot of events in Australia, you get a lot of time off and you can do a lot of practice and where out out here, you know, like we've had I think we end up running twenty twenty events in a row. So you don't really have time to you're always just doing maintenance on your golf games. Like even if you have a week off, you're not gonna be doing eight hours a day on your week off. Um you're kind of trying to recharge the batteries and then it's a kind of a juggling act on the road of how much practice and how much you play during the week because most of the tournaments it's you know it's like 36 degrees to 40 degrees on a hot one um 
so it's like energy conservation. But I feel like, you know, my goal is, you know, my goal is obviously to get on the PGA Tour and have a, you know, 10 year, you know, hopefully have 10 years out there um, and, you know, obviously try and, you know, try and win multiple times out there and be in the mix in a few majors. So, you know, I've got, I've got high goals um, and it's just a matter of putting the work in and, you know, keep progressing, getting better and learning from the experiences when, you know, like, like even like Ohio, you know, like I, you know, my coach said to me, he goes, well, I'm screaming at TV for you to mark the ball after I miss a, you know, four footer. And it's like, well, I didn't, I went through my routine, but I didn't mark my ball. So I was like, next time if that happened to me, well, I would use that, mark my ball, kind of reset and use it as, use those experiences as, you know, it's, it's going to help me win down the road. Jamie, what's the economics of that tour in terms of the the prize money and the tour kind of seemingly stuck on the same prize money level it's been on forever almost? Is, is there much talk about? Well, it's probably what, it's probably, we it's probably for more worse. Money? To be, I mean, it's, it's probably worse to be honest. I mean, with um, you know, with inflation and all the rest of the world's gone up, we're actually playing for the same money now pretty much as what they were playing for 20 years ago. Um, They are talking about, there is talks, um, I mean, it's not going to happen this year or as in 2020, but I think around 2022, there's talks of the tournaments all going to a million dollars. I know the PGA Tour is doing, um, they're doing a new TV media deal. And I think they're going to get, that's going to free up some money um, because, like you said, the, the dynamic out there has changed. There's a lot of people with families, um, you know, and a lot more expenses than than what they used to be. So they're definitely they definitely know that, um, you know, that we need to be playing for for more money. Um, but it's just a matter of where that money comes from um, because our market is obviously completely different. We're in communities and the PGA Tour in major cities so the markets are completely different within sponsorship dollars and stuff like that so that's definitely a challenge for them but i think they're definitely you know our new ceo alex has heard us heard everybody loud and clear and she's definitely you know working her best to get the i mean even most of our purses have gone up fifty thousand dollars this year which is a start so i mean it's not millions but every every dollar counts so hopefully they keep increasing um but like you said you know you don't want to get stuck out here either but by the same token if you finish 30th on the money list you want to at least have some money in the bank when you finish the year out yeah i mean the pj tour is awash with money surely they can subsidize yeah yeah you know 250 or 500 thousand dollars a week each week i mean it's not that much for the pj tour they've got billions of dollars there yeah i mean they, they definitely can um but they don't. So, and I like I said, I don't know. Um, I don't know why they don't. Um, is that, is but that yeah, it's definitely. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, if if it comes down to it, yeah. I mean, it is a little. It's, it's kind of outrageous. Um, but like you said, like I, I think a great idea would be for when they renew sponsorships, um, like with AT and T, for instance. Um, you know, they say, hey, you know, you're re-upping for ten year, ten years for the AT and T. Well. You know, five hundred thousand dollars a year is going towards the the feeder tour that feeds in the PGA Tour. So that's I think that's a would be a smart way if they want to do PGA Tour tournaments. Go okay, you got to give a little to the feeder tour as well. And that I mean that's I think a great idea to get some money up 
um, for our tour. You, you talk, Jamie. You talk about um, you know the big cities and and where the you know the Corn Ferry kind of sits, the towns it plays. When when you turn up to play in these events, does it does it feel like like in the town? Does it feel like you know the locals know there's a golf tournament on? Is there a sort of buzz around the main street that yeah, yeah the boys are in town and you know there's some golf being played? Um, to be honest, no. I mean, most it's it's kind of like. A, a, the major, overwhelming majority of the tournament, you people wouldn't know they're on unless you're a member of the golf club, and you're not going to have your course for the week. Um, they don't, they we don't have the same marketing, same social media, same people pushing um, our tournament. So, like you know, like Nashville, for instance, they'd be lucky to get two thousand people, three thousand people through the gates mm. in Nashville, mm. and that's a major city. Um, so. And are they, they walking? Are like they walking through time. the gate, Jamie? Or, sorry to butt in, but are they walking through the gate, or are they paying to get into those tournaments? No, you can. I mean, most of most of them they walk through, yeah. and the ones they got to pay, the money goes to a charity. Um, so, no, I mean, they we don't get. I mean, some there are certain tournaments that we have, like Wichita, Kansas is is a huge crowd. Um, Kansas City is another good one. Um, I mean, there's definitely some tournaments that are, that are great and the whole city gets behind, but, but there's a lot of them during the year, like you said, where there's they're all roped off, but there's not, you know, it's kind of, you know, there's not really a whole lot of people there. How how uh, how how do guys cope? I mean, you're, you're old enough to recognise, you know, you know, you're not you're not kind of young anymore. You, you can recognise when, um, I imagine when when you know people are under stress. Are you, how do guys cope? I mean, this is a really high pressure tour. You know, you're not even if you fail on the PGA tour, and by fail I mean you know don't make your cut. You can still walk away with half a million bucks in the bank. You know, like it's it's a different world they they live in up there. It's 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 so different on the tour you're playing. Do guys, by and large, cope okay with the pressures and the stresses that come with that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, nobody nobody really talks about it, obviously. Open, um, you know. But it's just kind of, it's just like everyone just, you know, we all play golf and the the money is what the money is on this tour. But, you know, it's, it's like it's like me. I know I could probably go to Europe or Japan and get my card and make, you know, make a nice little living and, you know, but, you know, this is the only way to the PGA Tour. So for me, it's like it's not, I'm not here for the money and, you know, all Everybody will tell you that it's more about it's the carrot that they dangle there with, yeah. you know, you know, you get your PGA tour, that's where you're going to make your money. So, you know, and it's not just the money; it's obviously they got great retirement. Um, you know, they 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 put a lot of money away, and you get you, you get a lot of perks. Obviously, the longer you're out there, um, you know, it's more. You know, it's it's definitely it's just you know it's you can have a great few years out there or five years out there and, and change your family's life you know it just depends on how well you play I mean the money is like Clay said it's huge they got so much cash on that tour it's unbelievable Jamie uh, you've obviously uh, still improving as we as we've discussed um, I'd like to know what sort of role your your family's played in uh-huh. that mate because it'd be remiss if it's not to ask you about you know your, your dad's a pro at Cronulla and you your brother's been a good enough player to play in major championships. Your sister's a fantastic player, Ashley. Um, it must be bloody competitive when you go out and have a knock around Cronulla. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. It's uh, yeah, no, it's good. I mean, my family. Yeah, I mean, they've been great. My my mum and dad. I mean, especially my dad's been, you know, unbelievable. My whole career is so supportive. Um, couldn't have a better dad just in general. Um, and then obviously my family. Family here. I've got a girlfriend of ten years a little five-year-old boy so um obviously i'm away from them a lot here in the states um you know she works and you know it's i've got a very very supportive um a very supportive family and i've got a great support network too here like the golf club i'm at i've got a lot of good friends um you know so i've got i've been very fortunate that i couldn't i mean off the golf course i couldn't have anything any anything better i mean my family's like go for it this is your dream chase it we're here for you so i'm never away going oh my missus wants me at home and she's not really wanting me to be out on the road like they're all like go for it you got a you got a dream and a chance to achieve it so go do it i wouldn't be surprised andy just um if to see jamie sort of really ruffle a few big feathers at the australian open this year Mm. wouldn't that be special jamie if you could come home in your home city and knock off a world-class field to cap a great year? Yeah, no, I mean, definitely. It's definitely in the back of my mind. I mean, I've got I've got a few months off now before I come back to Australia, so I'm trying to, you know, refresh, get to the gym a bit, and I'd love to, you know, nothing more than to obviously come back to Australia and, you know, obviously win the Stonehaven Cup and, you know, even even just the New South Wales Open, and you know, would be a big one too. Obviously, grew up in New South Wales, um, and every year I come back, I feel like I'm obviously progressed as a player. So I'm not as intimidated. I don't feel like I'm just playing the golf tournament. I feel like I'm actually out there with a with a legitimate chance to to give it a shake. I mean, the Australian obviously is 20 minutes from where I grew up. I think I finished top 15 there in 2018 when it played there. So yeah, it's definitely a good one, and I'm looking forward to um, getting back there and playing. Mate, we're right in your corner. I, I'm not sure whether – I'm sure you're probably not a regular listener to the podcast, but if you were <laughs> over the journey, you'd know that. We wouldn't need to tell you. We, uh, we're following your journey on a, on a weekly basis. We look forward to continuing to do that um, with greater, even greater success for you next year. And, and if you do get to where you want to go, there'll be a lot of regular listeners to this podcast and this radio show who will be absolutely delighted, mate. Thanks for giving us a bit of time. Um, we'll con- we'll convert you to the real code, the real football code here in Australia one of these days. Stop watching that rubbish yeah, up north. It's been, you know, uh, you know. been thirty six years, so I'd be excited to uh, see what your strategy will be. <laughs> <laughs> the Sharks made it too, Andy, yeah. so they'll be up in about in, uh, in the come, Shire. Come down and watch a real team, Melbourne Look, Storm. Harold, if Harold Holt turned off the Harold Holt turned off the porch light. We're okay down there. <laughs> <laughs> Any, anything else that happens is gravy. <laughs> yeah, these are well-worn lines, I suspect, yeah. for people out of there. As long as we keep the team out of Northies, we're okay. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know, I don't even know what that means, but it sounds like a good idea. Hey, uh, good, luck, good, good luck with everything, mate. Thanks for joining us on the show. Hey, and thank you guys so much, and um, thanks to all the listeners and everybody that's uh, supporting me. I really appreciate it, and uh, I promise I promise for the... Uh, Next year, it won't be much as much as a roller coaster for everybody. Good, Good, man. Good on you, mate. Thanks, Jamie, mate. Jamie Arnold joining us here on Inside the Ropes.
The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch your golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows, maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today. The home of Australian golf. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes and we have bid farewell, bade farewell. I'm struggling with my words today. But anyway, Andy Marr's gone and he's tried to leave the ship in the hands of Mike Clayton and myself. And Clayton's we are incredibly lucky today to have a special guest, as we uh, promised earlier on, Brian Twite. Um, I'm not sure how many people know of Brian's uh, achievements and, and uh, you know resume through the years, but it's a pretty special one, isn't it? Twite was from the era when everyone knew who the pro at every club was. But Brian Twite was a pro at Metro. Everyone knew Brian was a pro at Metro. And Twite, you can tell us the story. Welcome, Brian. Welcome, Thank Brian. Thank you. Brian, you were working for Arthur Lee's Ryder Cup player. Yes. Great player. Dunlop Masters champion, amongst other things. How many yes. times? You were Arthur's assistant at Slangendale, which was the equivalent of Royal Melbourne in London, the equivalent club, 36 holes, the posh premier club. So you can tell us the story about how you went from the back of the pro shop at Slangendale to Metropolitan. Well, it happened on one day that Arthur Lee said to me, Brian, I've got eight Australian people here to play golf for the whole week. They're coming to play in the Lucifer tournament and they want to play with you and have lessons from you for the whole week. So I thought that was rather unusual because that doesn't happen. Anyway, I played with them for the whole week, gave them lessons for the whole week, and there's Clive Wallace-Smith, Bill Catner, Jamison, Robertson... And all good golfers. So Bill Katnar from people who know the famous jewellery shop in Melbourne, Katnar's Jewellery. Katnar's Jewellery Shop, yes. Bill Katnar, yep. And after a week's playing, Clive Wallace-Smith said to me, Brian, we're looking for a professional to play over Metropolitan in Melbourne. We'd like you to come. We've been playing with you for a week just to size you up, and we think you're the right man for Metropolitan. Now, we'll be back on tomorrow morning, let me know tomorrow morning on whether you are coming. So I said to Arthur Lee, you know, I've been offered this job in Melbourne. We'd better go and see the manager. So we went up to see the manager at Sunnydale, which I was a bit careful about because six months earlier I applied for a professional job at Grimsby Golf Club in Grimsby. And he just said to me, Twite, I've cancelled your appointment. When you leave Sunnydale, you're going to go to somebody as good as Sunnydale, not to a second-rate golf club. So we went up to see manager, uh, Commander Drew, and I said to him, look, I've been offered this job in Melbourne, the Metropolitan Golf Club. He got off his chair and he said, Twite, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. I'm the manager of Sunnydale. It's taken me 20 years to become the manager. I've climbed the ladder. You haven't even started climbing the ladder, but you've gone from the bottom of the ladder right to the top. 
because Metropon is one of the greatest golf clubs in Australia. So sign the bloody thing and I'll pose it for you. <laughs> what year was that, Brian? 1955. Wow. And at that stage, you were just not, not, you weren't 30 by that stage? No, I was 28. 28. And had you been to Australia by that stage? No. Never. That's a, that's a hell of a journey then. Well, it's a big journey, but it, it wasn't a big journey because, I mean, I joined the Navy when I was 16. So I was in the Navy from 1942 to 46. So, uh, to me, it was just another adventure. Did you see active service in that time? Yes. Yes, we saw three years in the Mediterranean, in the Dardanelles, Yugoslavia, in the invasion of Sicily, wow. invasion of Italy. We did a lot of work. That generation did a pretty amazing job, didn't they? Really? Oh. You look back at, wow, it was a, you know, we don't, we're not old enough to have known that war and how tough that would have been in Britain to go through that. Yeah. Was that a factor in wanting to leave and come to Australia, or is that just no, how it no, turned no? Out? It's just a matter that, that as Arthur Lee said, Brian, when you get a professional job, you're number one assistant at selling down. When you get your own job, then you have to go wherever the job is there, and if it's overseas or Scotland, Germany, anywhere, you must go. And because this became the best job in the country, so I had no hesitation in saying yes. So was, so, I should point out, Clates, sorry, before yeah, you go on. Yeah. At that stage, because originally uh, we had intended, as I said earlier, to have you on the podcast around the time of the Open Championship this year, which was back at Port Rush. You'd played in the one in the early 50s, 50, 51. 51. 51. Yes. Uh, apologies for that. Um, you, you know, you could have taken your career in any number of directions. I could have done. But you see, the, Port Rush put me on one thing. It made me become... A teaching professional, because when I played at Port Rush, I've never hit the ball better. And my old boss, Harold Atkinson, always said that you always count your shots from tee to green and how many putts. Now, at Port Rush, I had 281s. I had 43 shots, in 44 shots in the first round and 37 putts. Second round, I had 81. I had 45 shots and 46 putts. And I was discussing myself. And I went back to Abbeydale Golf Club and I thought, Brian, you're not good enough to be a tournament professional. Just become a club professional. So I put myself in being a club professional. And I did very well in Yorkshire. And I was enticed and back by Arthur Lees down to Sunnydale. And from there on, I came to Metropolitan. So was Sunnydale the best job in England at the time? It was. It was the best club in England, mind you. It wasn't the best job because you only got two pounds five a week. <laughs> two pounds five a week. Two pounds five a week, and you paid two pounds, two pounds for board, so you're left with five shillings. <laughs> wow! But but so so how did Arthur do out of that? I mean, Arthur was a Arthur came from the generation where you were both. You were as Bernard Gallagher was probably the last one. Yes. Where you were, who was the pro at Wentworth and a Ryder Cup player? You were the you could be a club pro and a Ryder Cup player at the same time. Well, Arthur Lee's was. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so he was the, almost the last of – well, Bernard Gallagher was the last of that generation, but it's unimaginable now that you could yeah. be the head pro at Royal Melbourne and be a President's Cup player. I mean, yes. it's, you know, it's just beyond belief. That shows it how is, much the game's changed in but seven, 70 Dale, years, really. Sunningdale was a very uh, expensive club. Everybody bought dozen, one dozen, but then they bought one, but it was always a dozen. Mm. And we sold 2,000 pounds worth of Dunlops every two months, Dunlop golf balls. And the golf ball sales at Sunnydale would keep Arthur Lee's. 
I did all his teaching. We sold all the equipment. Mm. So it was a very good golf club. Well, what were you paid when you first came to Metro? I was paid three pounds a week. Wow. And the boarding arrangements there? The boarding arrangements didn't cost me anything because I lived in the clubhouse for 12 months. You've been accused of living in the clubhouse down there, folks. <laughs> no. Well, I spent some time in the clubhouse. <laughs> but clubhouses always, clubhouses always had like a little flat. I remember the old flat and the old clubhouse at the top. Finished up being like an ark. It was just full of junk in the end. But clubhouses often had residences in the, in the roof, which were... Well, we did. At Aberdale was good. But at Metropolitan, we had an upstairs unit. And we had Mrs. Levy, who was a house manager... She she had a two bedroom unit upstairs, and uh, I lived in one room. Then the servants had another room where they changed in, so it was quite easy. So, what day did you start? What date at Metro? The first of October, nineteen fifty five. Nineteen fifty five. And what date did you pull up stumps? He hasn't. Come on. No, as the pro <laughs> still teaches there. No, well, no, he still does that. But nineteen ninety July June nineteen ninety four. Nineteen ninety four. Yes. But what to explain? So, Brian still. Teachers at Metroan. Absolutely, yeah, yeah no. I, but I meant as the, as the, know, yeah. the bona fide club professional. So 40 years, yes. I bet you didn't regret one day. Well, it's the best time of your life. I mean, how, how can you not enjoy it when you're the best golf club in the country, the best members in the country? Everything you're is not saying this because Clayton is here alongside well, apart you. Well, apart from Sue Owen and Mike Clayton <laughs> and Todd Sinnott and Luke, all, the, all those young kids. Who... Oh, he, he's pretty good. <laughs> what... What are, you would have played a number of times with Mike, I'm assuming. He? Yeah, we've played a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yep, yep. What's your recollection of Mike's game? Mike had a very good swing. He was the best iron player you'd ever seen, next to me. <laughs> <laughs> when, I, when I came out here, Jack Dillon wrote me up as the best iron player he's ever seen. But Michael's iron player was magnificent. Twighty had a, from a different generation where they had much tighter... Um, better goal swing. I mean, we, we grew up copying Nicholas. You grew up copying Henry Cotton. Jones and Cotton, I suppose. Yes. Cotton. Yes. Yeah, you know, much, you know, people would look at Cotton's swing and Thompson's swing and Sarazen's swing in the 70s, and we thought they were old-fashioned. Mm. You look at them now and you go, these guys were great. Oh, and Brian yeah. very much had that action. You know, and then Nicholas and Weisskopf and Miller changed the, the perception of the way they swung, changed the way... I mean, Greg was the epitome of it, mm. but that changed the way we sort of saw the golf swing. And that, that was the modern swing in the 70s. But it kind of swung back to, you know, people started realising that, a bit like architecture, having compared the architecture from the 20s to the 60s and 70s, people now figured out that the stuff in the 20s was actually better. And golf swings were a bit the same. So was your swing, <clears throat> who was the most comparable to? So is it is a Thompson well, swing? Well, uh, I mean, my swing is just a normal, natural-looking swing, yeah. not manufactured. See, when I played at Port Rush, I played with Charlie Ward, Di Reese, Harry Weeman on the table, and Charlie Ward came in. He'd played with Peter Thompson. That was Thompson's first effort in the British Open. And he said, fellas, this is the best kid in Australia. He's the best swing I've ever seen in my life. He's going to win a hell of a lot of golf tournaments. And Peter's swing never changed. Mm. No, never did. Probably yeah. never had a, probably never had a lesson. Yeah. He was the you know, old school of work it out for yourself and learn how to get the ball in the hole. And I mean, Tomo was lucky in a sense that he, I'm not sure he just whether he stumbled across whether he stumbled across that swing or he just 
naturally kind of put the club in the right places or either way it was a what a swing he had it was such a beautiful action wasn't it? incredible so what, what when you see what the guys are doing today and they're just you know relatively comparatively they're muscle bound well, and I'm a bit disappointed with the coaching today because everybody's being manufactured yeah. you know they're being told to do this and they're taking all the natural ability out of it and the thing that in some setting like Lydia Coe one of your best swingers in the world in the ladies now she's gone and had lessons she's where, where's she now she's lost it mm. and why these people who's got magnificent swings and natural swings change it because like Lydia Coe for instance she never thought of anything she just take a club out pick it up like Thompson put it on the green but so now I, the mind and the, and the muscles tend to fight each other so I don't want Clates to, um, you know, poison this question with his own thoughts because they're well and truly documented. What are your thoughts now on how the courses play with the length um, as opposed to how they were when you first were playing them? Uh, we see a lot of drives and wedges. We don't see too many mid to long irons anymore. Well, you see, this is a point that everybody talks about. When you look at short courses and long courses, from tee to green, it takes about 40 shots from tee to green. Depends on how many putts you have. So it doesn't matter how short it is. You can't hit the green in one. You're still going to take two. And I said this last June, two weeks ago. Two years ago, maybe three years ago, when Scott and Chalmers played the Open the PGA Championship at Royal Pines. Scott hit every green in the last round. He had 38 shots and 33 putts for 71. Chambers came in, played like a fool. He had 46 shots, 21 putts for 67. And he missed the green and chipped up to two feet and got his power. So to me, trying to lengthen golf courses to me, should never be allowed because it's not necessary. You've still got to put a wedge on the green. You've still got to put your arm on the green. And if you lengthen it, what's the difference between saying, same with the ball? If the ball is tampered with, it's one club more. And these fellas are experts in playing tournament golf, in playing particular golf, in target golf, what I call it. And because they play target golf, that's a different today to what it was years ago. We didn't play target golf in England. You'd have to drop the ball 50 yards short of the green to get the damn thing on the green mm. because that's the way the course is made. But today, the courses are so perfect. The greens are magnificent, better than they've ever been. The fairways are magnificent. The target golf, the greens are wet. They just pop it up. And when you look at all these players who hit shots into the green, they're really magnificent because their distance collection is magnificent. And if they're fast greens, they've got to drop it short. And Americans really created, I look at, I think target golf, most people think of target golf the way Brian thinks of it as in soft greens and you just go splat, splat from splat. Americans kind of tried to define targets much more strongly is the wrong word, but they really defined targets. They had 30 yard wide fairways with rough on the sides. They had, Green's surrounded by rough, so you really had to go from one target to another. Mm -hmm. Whether you bounced it there or you stopped it there, 
on mush surfaces. In Australia and Britain, the targets are much, certainly the fairways, the drive, driving targets are much less defined. We don't have thick rough in Britain or America. Well, Britain's got, England's got Heather in Venice, Walton Heath, those places. But in Australia, we don't have, our targets are much less defined and there's much less of a, there's much more of a random punishment if you miss targets. In America, they try and create the same penalty if you miss the target for mm. everybody. They, they try and make golf fair. So target golf to me has got connotations of fair golf. And golf, Brian's played St. Andrews and all those great courses, Royal Melbourne. The best courses are not fair. But America tried to def- make golf fair by defining targets. Mm. And that was almost, that's my definition of what target golf is. Mm. Because most people think it's just, well, you just it's soft. That's true. Mostly it is soft. Golf is much better when you don't define the target so much. Yeah. And, and in America, they define them. What, I assume you watched Port Rush when the Open was on a I couple did, months yes. ago. What was your take on it then? I mean, I know a few of the holes had changed and presumably it was a little greener too. Um, but were things as you remembered them or is it just beyond recall? Well, when I played Port Rush, it was just magnificent. Every other course that you play in the British Open, you can see tee to green. At Port Rush, you can't. Mm. You're hitting over sand dunes, round corners, on the greens. And once you get on the green, you've got all these little umps and bumps. And from a 20-foot, like me, when I play, I'd hit two irons on the front of a green, I'm 60 feet from the hole. I've got about three valleys to go over, three bumps to go over, and to get within 10 feet was miraculous. Yeah. And of course, then I missed it. And to me, the greens at Port Rush makes a golf course. Yeah. And, of course, the rough is terrible. It always has been. But the uh, course playability of the course, if it's a nice day, you can get around the course in 65, 66, 67 quite easily. But get a bit of wind, and you try and play over those sand dunes to the fairway that's going left or right, it's got to be so correct. Mm. At Port Rush, when I played it, there's no to me there's no other golf course like it anywhere. It definitely caught my eye, Clay. So I loved it. Yeah, it's it a great it. course. Yep. Yeah, Port Rush and Royal County Down are two. Yeah, two amazing golf courses. I mean, you could make an argument there. Two of the best five courses in the world, probably. Brian, we could talk to you for a very long time. We uh, time is of the essence, I suppose, on our podcast. I can I point people to. I'm not sure if you did you pen this book yourself. No, Jilly Edney interviewed me for that, and she wrote it, and it's a very good book. It's, it's, I've, only, I've only read the first few chapters of it, I apologise, but Brian Twite is called Just Magnificent, Lessons from a Life in Golf. Um, I got this at Metropolitan, uh, through Metropolitan. I'm sure that people can look for a copy of that, uh, of that book. 93 years, you just turned 93, is that right? Yes. 93 years of wisdom, Clates. Not bad. Good innings, still, and still... And, Walking. Don't, well, I feel, I feel I'm a pretty fit 93, so yeah. well, yeah. That's I might never, have a few more years yet. That, that's because he never gets in a golf cart. <laughs> How often do you play? I, I, play, I play three times a week at the moment. Hmm. Never in hmm. a golf cart? Occasionally in a golf cart. In a golf cart. <laughs> <laughs> would you get, if Brian said, come and play, but we've got to play in a golf cart, would you go and play? No. I hate playing in a golf cart because yeah, no. you can't think. Yeah. When you... See, in a golf cart, you drive up to the ball and you're there. But when you're walking, you always look at the ball you're going to play. 
you always figure out how you're going to play that shot. So you've got five minutes or a few minutes to know exactly what type of shot you're going to play. So when you get up to the ball, mm. you get the right club and you play the shot you're thinking of. Mm. But you've thought of it two minutes beforehand. But in a buggy, especially if you have a driver that's very fast, <laughs> <laughs> you're up to the ball and you think, the hell am I doing here? I can't, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Yeah. Brian, as I said, we could talk to you all day. Brian Twight, OAM, thank you so much for coming into Inside the Rope. It's been our it's pleasure. It's a pleasure to, to come here. Thanks, Twighty. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Clay, you and I have just got to wrap up some of the results around the world before we before we sign off today. I We're going to have this guy on the podcast next week, um, Maverick Ancliffe. We've had him on before, but he's just on some sort of run. He's killing him in China, right? Yeah. I mean, if you read down his results there, they're the tournaments he's played this year. See where he's finished on the China Golf Tour. Read first, them out. First, first, third, ninth, first, 17th, two, eight, four. Unbelievable. Good. Yeah, it's like David Warner's batting uh, so statistics. So do, do you get some sort of corn ferry card through that tour, the well, top five on that tour? And this is why it's so important that we talk to him because I just thought that that China golf tour was just sort of a no-go zone, like there was no way out of it. It turns out, and I'm, I was unaware of this, that the winner of the Order of Merit, which he's leading by a, you know, a light year right now, uh, gets a card, a Category 16 card on the European tour next year. Um, so what's Category 16? Is that It gets you pretty much everything you want. Well, like, it's a hell of you know, a deal. It's a great job. And And – for him, he's got two tournaments, I think, on the last remaining two two events on the China Tour, where the, a challenge tour players from the secondary European Tour come across and play, and they're worth mm. a bit more. But for him to lose the order of merit with those results, um, tied fourth again at the weekend, uh, he would basically have to see the same guy win both tournaments. So not happening. So I doubt strongly whether that's going to happen. So hopefully we'll be able to clear that up a bit more when we talk to Mav next week. But a phenomenal 2019 campaign for someone who hadn't won professionally at the start of this year. Three wins, a third, a fourth, a second, an eighth, a ninth, and a seventeenth. I mean, that's just remarkable golf. Yeah. Uh, other Aussies around the world, Clates, um, Steph Nah. I know you you probably know yeah, Steph Nah. Yep. Tied for third uh, on the Symmetra Tour uh, in Kansas. Not without a chance still. Two events to go Top to. 10, get, right? Get yeah. their cards there? Uh, yeah, I think that's right. Yep. Uh, she's a chance. I think she's around 22nd at the moment on the Symmetra Tour money list. If she can finish off strongly in the next two weeks, she's a sneaky chance to get an LPGA car, which would be, it would cap in a phenomenal season yep. for Australian women on those two tours. It would be just extraordinary. Lucas Herbert made a couple of late birdies to seal his card on the European Tour, tied 22nd at the European Open in Hamburg. Scott Hend and Min Woo Lee were the next best Aussies at tied 36. Good to see Min. Min Woo's had a great year. Yeah. From nothing to a card. Yeah, he's a terrific. He's a, good, he's a re, he's really good Min Woo. Yeah, so that was great. Other Aussies to make the cut there, Dimi Papadatos, Jake McLeod, Harrison Endicott did well um, in the last week or two before resuming hostilities, I suppose, down in uh, the uh, Latino America tour. And Adam Bland, another lefty there from South Australia, has done pretty well. Um, in that China Tour event, Kevin Yuan was the best placed Aussie, one ahead of Maverick Antcliffe and Cade McBride, but Kevin Yuan finished with a 68 to finish third there. Uh, admittedly, he was seven shots off the lead, but that's another great result. And Dylan Perry had a, one of a, the, his best results for the season on the Japan Tour, the top Aussie, tied 24th on the Japan Tour. Now, tied for fifth, Ryo Ishikawa, who's won yeah. twice in the last month. Ernie needs to be seriously thinking about having him at Royal Melbourne. He's got to come under consideration, doesn't he? Absolutely. Um, he, he, I was speaking to someone in, around the Japanese tour just this morning and he said the buzz around Ryo Ishikawa 
again, it's just growing, yeah. you know, increment, not incrementally, exponentially every day. Yeah, well, I know Ogilvy likes him because he was in a team with him, I think, and thought he was great in the team. So, I hope he comes down a bit earlier than what he, if he, he picked. Good. Well, he played the Vic Open and missed the cut this year, so he's obviously playing in better form than he was yeah. at the start of the year. But the Japanese aren't well. That's a warm up for them in February, but he's Very had a great. So. so he's he would be a great pick. I will say that I walked around with him and talked to him. He's a really nice guy. Great um, guy, yeah, lovely guy. Yeah. yeah, ripping guy at Thirteenth Beach, and you know, um, if enjoying your golf is key, then he's clearly enjoying his golf again. And yeah. that may not have been true four or five yep. years ago. So great to see there. And one other thing we need to mention, Karis Davidson, for those who saw it on the Golf Australia website, she withdrew from uh, the Ladies Japan Tour event um, after, or well, at the end of her first round. She's nothing uh, sinister. She just was crook and couldn't really play on. So nothing to worry about there. She's still looking good to keep her card. Um, what else to happen in the world of golf this week, Clay? Do you want to talk about quickly? Um, my partner, Bruce Grant, who we started the golf course design business together 25 years ago. Bruce died this week. Sadly, sad, he, sad day. Uh, he was started off working for Claude Crockford at Royal Melbourne, apprentice at Royal Melbourne with his brother, Graham, who was at Kingston Heath. His other brother, Trevor, was the great sports writer. One of my colleagues. And then Bruce went from, he built Naruma with John Spencer, went to Victoria, then the lakes, and then he was really, he technically wasn't the superintendent of the National. He had the maintenance contract there, but he was really in charge of all three courses and Portsea. And he did an amazing job. He was one of the most talented superintendents ever to work in Australia. So great guy and a tough day for all his friends and those yeah. of us who grew up with him. And you know, I knew Bruce from, you know, I don't know, 40 years I knew Bruce. Lovely guy, terrific guy. Great, I mean, amazingly talented family. Graham, Trevor and Bruce were incredibly talented at what they did. All good golfers too. They were all pretty good players. Trevor fleeced me more than once. Yeah, Trevor was a good player. <laughs> good player, great right, lovely guy. Trevor. And he's a, he was a good, I, from listening to you previously, not about this specifically, but he was a good guy for you to work with too, wasn't he? Bruce was great. He was great to work with. Brilliant. He and John were terrific to me. That's a sad day. And, you know, the whenever you lose a great heap of knowledge out of anything, but well, Australian golfers. There's a direct line from Mackenzie. Mick Morecambe worked for... Obviously, Bill McKenzie's work. Claude Crockford was took over the job after Mick Morecambe left at Royal Melbourne and yeah. Bruce and Graham apprenticed to, to, to Crockford. And then all the guys they trained are still Ian Todd and you know, all the guys that John and Graham trained, Bruce trained, they're all still working at golf clubs around Melbourne. That's so, awesome. you know, the lineage goes all the way down from McKenzie and Crockford, really. Sad day. Yep. Uh, Yes, our thoughts with the Grant family. They've had a rough couple of years, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, all the best to you for you. everything that comes with that later this week, unfortunately. Uh, one last thing, I suppose, is to just touch on the field being announced slowly but surely for the Australian Open. Uh, we announced uh, not only Ernie Els, but Paul Casey, who won that European Open, got to number 14 in the world, and Louis Oosthuizen uh, is coming to the Australian Golf Club in early December. So that's fantastic. And next week... I reckon we might have another couple of big announcements. So uh, let's keep our fingers crossed. The field keeps building. Um, thank you so much. Thanks, mate. Enjoyed it. Brian, thanks so much for coming in. We really appreciate you making the effort. It was really good of you. Good. Thank you. And uh, yeah, hopefully yeah. hopefully people didn't miss Andy's voice in the last segment there. That's it for episode 119. Thank you. We'll do it all again next week.